this morning. Aren't you glad? I, after making you guys go to Zechariah and Zephaniah last week, I thought, let's just go to Genesis and, and float you on that for just a little bit. It's real easy to find, just go to the front page and turn right. Genesis chapter uh, 13. By the way, if you're visiting, my name is Darren. Did I say that already? And I'm uh, my wife just came in. My wife's been working like a rented mule out front, getting everything together for today. We're very short-staffed because of Thanksgiving, because people do what they should do, which is go spend time with family. And so, uh, yeah, she's been very busy this morning, so. That's the man-child. Um, but I'm one of the pastors here as well, and I'm very grateful that you guys came and joined us this morning. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. In verse 18, and so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And then if you would turn the page over one page to Genesis 15. It says, and after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your very great reward. Father, would you give us clarity this morning from your word? You promised that it would be a lamp to our feet, a light for our paths. And so we just expect that this morning from you. We expect that your word isn't just an academic exercise, but it actually speaks to us individually and specifically. In your name we pray. Amen. Whenever I see the, uh, the word Hebron in the Bible... It can't help but go back to my childhood. I grew up in a, a little state called Nebraska, which is really flat. And there are not a lot of redeeming qualities. I think we basically, we can lay claim to Larry the Cable Guy and Dick Cavett. Like, I think those are basically the two big ticket items that have come out of Nebraska and me. So you see, the, the, it goes downhill immediately after Dick Cavett. But... The, the little thing about Nebraska is it's a, a, a lot of little towns. If, if, if anybody been around little towns, like, you know what I'm talking about? And little towns surrounded by more little towns. And the thing about the little towns is uh, sometimes if you wanted to date, you needed to go out, you know, expand your horizons, so to speak. And so I had done that, and I was in a little town uh, named with no sense of irony called Superior, Nebraska, which was a uh, town of like 1,500 people. And down the road was a little town called Hebron, Nebraska. And that's where my high school sweetie was from. Her name was Mary Yelm, and I was smitten. And actually, quite literally, you'll see in a minute. So uh, one night, uh, Marcus Gonzalez, who was my uh, best buddy, he lived in Nelson, Nebraska, another little no-rent town. And he's going to come spend the night at my house. And I was going to go spend the night at his house. You see where this is going. And so uh, this was a perfectly planned uh, excursion. Except, I remember my mom saying, because uh, she, she, you know, she could smell a rat. I don't know, you, you moms know how this goes now, but 
I didn't know that then. And I remember the last words out of her mouth as I, as I hit the back door on the way out was, if you go to Hebron, it's against my will. And it sounded almost exactly like that. And, she, and so we, uh, we went right to Hebron. And, um, and Marcus, what a good buddy. He'd go ahead to be the third wheel. You know, he was fine to do that. And so it's me and Marcus Gonzalez and, and Mary Yelm, and we're walking down the street of Hebron, Nebraska, and a, 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 a Trans Am or Camaro, some sort of thing that you would expect in that type of town, comes to a screeching halt beside us, and out jumps a couple of goons, like big goons. Uh, and they were also uh, inebriated goons. And so the goons, uh, whose names I will not say publicly, because actually both of them, I kid you not, are in prison to this day. Um, not over this event, but this was the first of many to come, apparently. And, uh, and they begin to, because, you know, you're, if you've grown up in a small town, you know, you're, you're not supposed to cross the borders of, of those things. And so, you know, we basically were coming over there to get their women, and that was uh, not going to, uh, was frowned upon. And so uh, they, they come out, and they're, you know, pushing us around. And, and so Marcus Gonzalez, and what they wanted to do was to take Mary Elm, throw her in the car, and then leave, because they wanted, you know, come get their woman, uh, who they didn't even know, but... Marcus Gonzalez picks up a rock, and Marcus was famous in our community because he was the kid that could kill a rabbit with a rock. Now, he'd only done it once, but it was enough. <laughs> and I saw it. Like, I saw it happen. Like, I mean, literally. And, I mean, rabbit hits him in the head, falls over dead, and we're all like, wow, we should, like, build a shrine right here to Marcus Gonzalez. So Marcus picks up a rock, and it's like David uh, and Goliath, uh, except for Marcus was, was, uh, was not real little. He's just very fast and thin. And so he picks up his rock and he throws it at uh, the dude, the goon, uh, goon number one, for the purposes of this conversation. And it hit him right uh, here. Not here, where, where you wanted it to hit, but here. And goon number one, it goes, and it falls down and he gives one of, one of these. At which point Marcus then enacted his other spiritual gift, which was he ran. <laughs> He was very fast. His nickname was Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, and it was, a, it was an accurate one. The kid could sprint, and so he did. Um, and so uh, it's now me and Mary, and I'm between the, the goons and Mary, and I'm like, you know, uh, this is going to go badly. And so he, I basically, you know, hey, run, run, go. And so, and they start to go after her. And I'm, I mean, it sounds so noble, but it really, I don't, wasn't. It was just what you do. And so I, um, you know, I, I basically, I'm going to give uh, goon number two a, a good slug, you know, right here, except I hit him right here. And <laughs> the last thing I remember was them kicking my head uh, on the ground. Like, I remember a boot going across my forehead. And I remember the last thought I had before waking up was, if you go to Hebron, it's against my will. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to tell my mom. <laughs> um, and... So basically, yeah, two evil Hebronites smote me good that night. Um, but I thought about that every time I go to, uh, when I think of Hebron, because obviously uh, when you wake up and your eye is swollen shut and a town called Hebron, it just tends to evoke those images. When I'm reading here about what happened with, with Abram, it actually says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 15, after this or after these things, and of course the question is after uh, what things? And it was a little bit of a skirmish as well for Abram. It wasn't Hebronites that got him, though. Uh, it was, well, backing up to chapter 12, Abram was told, hey, God says, look, uh, new, new start, new dreams. I'm going to show you this whole new land. 
And, and you know the song, uh, the cheer song, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you want a new start. You want to start over in a, in a new place, in a new identity. And, and that was what God was offering Abram. And he sent them on this journey that would take him to a place called Egypt for a while because of a famine, would ultimately take them to a place called Hebron. But in that process, he was growing very, very prosperous. And his family was growing prosperous. And his nephew was a guy named Lot. You might remember the story. If not, we can... Do we have the flannel graphs? Can we get those? If, if, okay, well, um, we need to get, put flannel graphs in the budget. Um, but Lot was a guy that was his nephew. And so they were both growing very prosperous. And they needed, they didn't have enough space for all their stuff. So Abram says, hey, look, Lot, there's no sense in our guys fighting each other, the arguments over your sheep or my sheep. Or, so let's, you go your way, you go, I'll go mine. You choose which way you want to go, and then I'll go over the other direction. And so Lot looks up, and it says he looks towards Sodom, and there's, the fields were green, and the, the grass was lush. It was a great place to raise cattle uh, a bad place to raise kids. But he says, yeah, I'll take that one. So he does. And Abram kind of, uh, I mean, honestly, he's not a very good negotiator at that point. He's getting hosed pretty bad. And so Lot goes on and does his thing. And he basically lives outside the awesome city. And Abram is in the, the boondocks. This goes on for 12 or 13 years. But during that time, there was a war that had broken out. And there's a king chapter 14-ish, referred to as, I think in the uh, NIV, it's Keto Leomar, uh, KJ is like Cheto, and it's actually this like, funky Hebrew uh, pronunciation, but for the purposes of our conversation, we're just going to go with Cheto Leomar, okay? We're just rolling in with a hard CH, Cheetos guy. Cheto Leomar is a king, and he has over, now overran, he and uh, these three other kings are now in charge of Sodom, and Gomorrah and these other areas. And this happened, this is going on for 13 years until the kings of Sodom rise up, the king of Sodom, and, and uh, tries to overthrow uh, King Cheddar. And this war sort of goes on for a little bit. And it, at this point, uh, Cheddar and his cohorts basically ransack Sodom, take the food, the possessions, the wealth, and head home. And it is a long way, like hundreds of miles away in what would be modern, like uh, Syria, Lebanon today. Word reaches Abram that his nephew had been kidnapped, and so Abram basically calls the A-team. They're not available. And so he puts together 318 of his own servants, arms them, and basically launches a paramilitary operation and goes and gets them back. Like in huge upset. Brings back Lot, brings back all of the goods. And on his way back, it says that he encounters this mysterious figure uh, named Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. And it says that he prayed to him and, and gave tithes to him. And so he gets to uh, Melchizedek, and then he gets to Sodom, and uh, the king of Sodom says, look, I'm going to give you all this stuff. I'm going to make you rich because of this. And that famous passage of where Abram would say, no, no, I I'm not going to take any money from you that you might say that you made me rich. I'm only going to take what God has given to me and what God will give to me so that only God can get the credit for this. And that's what brings us to verse 1 of chapter 15. After this, after the war, after Melchizedek, after Chedorlaomer, this entire span of his life, 
it says that the word of the Lord came to Abram back in Hebron. It says, do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield, your very great reward. But check this out, and this is what I want you to see. Abram doesn't say, oh, dude, you're right. Thank you. Thank you for saving my butt. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for, thank you. No, he says, but God, Abram said, but God, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. You've given me no children, he said. So a servant in my household is going to inherit everything. And I love God for so many reasons, but one is he's not a jerk. He's a loving God. I mean, he didn't say, Abram, you idiot. Seriously, snap out of it. I mean, when you're kids, I mean, you know how it is. When you give your kids something, it's like it's never enough, right? Like it's like you give them this game, but then they want the new one and the new thing and the new DSI or the new thing. It's just that's the thing in our humanity that makes us want to do that. And that's where Abram is going is God saying, look at all this stuff I've done. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And Abram says, "Uh, but God... What about this? What about this thing that I don't have? And I feel like what Abram missed is what I so often can miss, is that I tend to go with the, but God, part. And he's saying in verse 1, hey, Abram, I know you want a son, but what you really needed this year was a shield. And you needed protection. You have made some kings very angry. And I've got your back. I've got your shield. I'm going to protect you. And I am your reward. But God, I want a son. I know, I know, and I appreciate your enthusiasm. But I've given you a shield. And I am your reward. The richness and the fulfillment that you want, that you think you'll get in these things that you want, they're not going to provide that fulfillment. I am your reward. And I wonder if today, as Thanksgiving weekend kind of comes to a close, as pretty much everybody survived black Thursday, Wednesday, whatever. Next year it's going to be Black Tuesday. Um, If that's something that we could think about today as we're moving into the Christmas season. Not the, hey, but God, but I really, hey, thanks, I appreciate that, God, but God, I really wanted this. And to cut out the but and to say, yeah, but you were my shield this year. The shield that protected you from I don't know if you know this, but Satan doesn't like you. Like specifically, you. He hates you. The scriptures tell us that God's plan for you are good and to give you a future and to prosper you. That is not the enemy's plan for you. The enemy's plan for you is to steal, to kill, and destroy you. Those are his plans. And I think that God shields us from stuff that would probably make the hair stand up on the back of your neck if you knew what the enemy wanted to do in your life. If you understood what Satan really had in mind for you, it would cause you to stay awake at nights. And he says, but I am your shield. The little board meeting that the prince of the power of the air had with the keynote presentation or PowerPoint and with all, here's how we're going to take out you. And he's saying, I'm shielding you from that. And you don't even know it this side of heaven. On the other side, I believe we'll fully realize it. Abram made some kings mad, and God protected him. He was his shield. He made those rulers mad. The rulers, the Bible speaks of Satan as the prince 
the power of the air. He is the ruler of this side of heaven. You've made him angry. And he says, I'm going to shield you from that. You have no idea what I have shielded you from this last year. Maybe up until this point. And maybe that's a point where we can say, hey God, I, uh, I know these things I want, but thank you for being my shield from the enemy and the plans that he had against me this year. I think that God also shields us from ourselves. I have some really bad ideas. Bad ideas. I've told my kids, actually I, I remember having this conversation with the Faley boys when I was in India. The reason you have parents is because as a young boy, you're going to have a lot of really bad ideas. And the parent's job is to point them out. Hey, that's not a good idea to stand on the edge of the building and looking down five stories. That's bad. That's, it could, it's not going to end well. So that's a bad idea. My ideas, the older I get, the smarter they seem. But then I realize how much smarter God is than me. And I look back and I can be thankful this year and leading up to this year of how much he has shielded me from Abram, he thought he got hosed in that deal. What he wanted, what he didn't want, was the land where there was no grass, there was no water. He got hosed. But God shielded Abram. Because what if he would have gotten the land that Lot had gotten? He would have been the one taken hostage. He would have been the one who lost his stuff. That had, I mean, the, the, the plan would have been exactly backwards. And if you begin to see Lot and understand his personality, I'm pretty sure he wasn't going to go in after him. He didn't want that land, and he got it, and it was God shielding him from what was to come. There's a book called The Hiding Place. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom. I, we got back from uh, India, and I, nothing really says how to relax other than the beaches of uh, Orange Beach and uh, the Holocaust. So I was reading that book, uh, and it was very relaxing. But there's a part where Corey has... Uh, now, if you don't know the story, she, was, uh, she spent most of uh, the, the war of World War II protecting Jewish people from, uh, from the Nazis and, and had built a little room in, in her house and hid them and eventually was arrested and went from jail to prisons to jails to camps to ultimately ending up at a place called Ravenstuck, which was an extermination camp for the female uh, prisoners. And after days in a cattle car, shoulder to shoulder with people with no water and no food, they get to what was going to be their home. And it was these platforms, like plywood platform bunk beds that were like 15, 20 feet across where they would just stack them in there. And you had to crawl across people to get into them. And it was she and her sister that found themselves in this. And they're crawling across and they find themselves in this little place called Ravenstuck, just literally elbow to elbow and realize that this place was covered in fleas. They were like covered in fleas, biting him and nipping at him. And that night, that first night sleeping there, she said that she cried out to her sister, I, how can anybody live like this? And her sister, whose name was Betsy, said, but he gave us the answer this morning in our Bible reading. They had smuggled a Bible in. And it's First Thessalonians when he says to, and everything's give, everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus and so they began to try to think of, okay, well, we're thankful that we have each other, that we're here, we're sisters, and we're actually together. Thankful um, 
for the fact that the Bible made it in. They were very thankful for that. But they got to the fleas, and she's like, and she said, I couldn't think of any reason to be thankful for fleas. She was getting what she didn't want, and she couldn't find a reason to be thankful. The months went on, and they would have Bible studies, and all these women were coming to Jesus. And the beautiful thing was the guards left them alone. They never came in. There were no beatings in the barracks. There was no guards overseeing them at all. They had free reign and had church in there, giving hope of Jesus for months. And it wasn't until months later that they realized that that was the first place, the only place, the reason why that the guards didn't come in that place among any others was the fleas. And she said, I realized that day those were God's fleas. And they were her shield and allowed for the kingdom of God to be advanced even in that darkest of place because of the fleas. There are things in our lives that we didn't get. That we did get that we didn't want. And maybe it's God shielding you from something, and maybe you don't even know it yet what it is, but maybe that's how we can let him be our shield and be thankful in everything, is saying, I know that you've got my best interest in mind. He shielded me from things that I didn't want and got anyway, and he has shielded me and you from things that I did want and didn't get. Abram wanted a son so bad. He wanted a family. He wanted heirs. And imagine what it would have been like if he were raising kids in that environment. We can know because we saw what happened with Lot and his children. His children who would later, after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the wickedness of the city, got their father drunk and and uh, lay with him for the kids in the room. Uh, knew him in a biblical sense, if you know what I'm saying. And, and got pregnant by their father because they'd grown up in this wicked environment. God was protecting Abram, and he didn't even know it. He wanted a son, and he was going to get one, and he was going to get this thing, but he, in, in God's timing, and in the meantime, God was shielding him. I believe that there are so many things that we pray for that I want, that you want, that I want right now, and God is saying, maybe not even, it's just a not yet moment. Hey, not yet, it's not right now. In 1994, I had an offer to uh, get a job at a, uh, in the music business. I was dumber than a bag of hammers. I, had, I was a waiter. I had no plans, no uh, nothing. I mean, I was literally, I was going to be a waiter with my little black bow tie and the green apron for the rest of my life. But I really wanted music. That was my thing. I wanted to be a rock star. It wasn't good enough. But I through a series of really miraculous circumstances, got an offer to go to work at a company in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to be a booking agent. Didn't even know what it was, but that's what I was going to go do. So this was in June, and, or 93. I don't remember when it was. And so I was um, going to go do that. I told all my friends that this, I'm going, I'm going to get this job, and I'm, I'm moving. I'm just going to go, we're going to go check it out this week, and then I'm going to come back, get my stuff, move to Atlanta. And so that's what I did. I went to Atlanta. It was awesome. It was sweet. It was the, uh, I, was, I had the little thing, the little lan the lanyard thing. I thought I was pretty cool. But I didn't get the job. And I came back and I was embarrassed. A little downtrodden. A little like, oh, all these friends that I told. But something happened right before I went in that trip in June. I had bumped into my old sweetie who had dumped me like a bad habit. No 12-step program at all. It was one step. <laughs> it's come time to redefine the nature of our association. Uh, it's not uh, me, it's you speech, the whole thing she gave me. No. Um, I hadn't seen her in almost two years. Saw her at the mall. 
and came back and uh, we started dating, which to this day, I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Got engaged in August, married in December, and in the middle of all that, the job called again in November and said, hey, are you still interested in this position because it's open still and we haven't really done anything about it. Could you come uh, right after the first of the year? I wanted it really bad and I wanted it right then and if I'd have got it in June, there'd be no Darren and Shannon, there'd be no Maddie, no Ashley, no Lauren, no Ethan, maybe no Conduit because God was shielding me in the way that he shielded Abraham in the way that he shields you as well. And you might not understand why I haven't got this thing that I want that seems so reasonable for me right now. <sighs> Being thankful is one of the biggest steps of faith that we can take. Being thankful says that I'm like, okay, I don't understand this, but I understand you, and I understand what you did at the cross, and that means that you are good, and so I can trust you to shield me. And faith is what bridges the gap between my understanding and God's reality and I don't think there's any uh, mistake that in Ephesians, when it speaks of the armor of God, it is faith that is the shield that protects us from ourselves. It protects us from the enemy and his attacks. And it protects us from God. And here's what I mean. When I was in Hebron that day, it would have been real handy to have had a shield to protect me from the blows of the two goons. Would have been very handy. Wouldn't have had my eyes swollen shut and had to tell my dad, I kind of lied to you. But what I didn't understand then is that I didn't need a shield as much as I was a shield. The blows that would have come down on Mary, the, what could have happened, I don't know. But I took those blows. And it reminds me that God is a just God. Justice and love are not incongruent. He doesn't look at our sin with a wink and a nod. Oh, you know, boys will be boys. Oh, you know how girls can be. So emotional. I didn't say that. Nor did God. Just saying it, it's hypothetically. You know how I can be. He doesn't look at it that way because there's a price that had to be paid. There's a debt that is owed. And so what he did, if there's nothing else that you can find to be thankful for, is to understand that when he says that I am your shield, that Jesus took blows for you and for I on his back and his front and his face, shielding us, a human shield, if you will, taking what was ours and paying our debt, but shielding us with his body. Abram, when he came back, would encounter this mysterious guy named Melchizedek, which most theologians would say is a Christophany, and that's just a very fancy word of saying it's a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ on the earth. One of the ways that you know that that's what's happening is angels do not receive worship. If, if a, a person were to encounter an angel in the scriptures and they bow down to worship, it was an angel, they would say, no, no, get up, don't worship me, we worship God. But when Abram worshipped Melchizedek and gave him tithes. His name means quite literally the king of peace. Salem, Jerusalem, the king of peace. Melchizedek's king, the king of peace. He had encountered Jesus, 
before, and Jesus, Melchizedek, brought him bread and wine, the elements of communion. A reminder that as he is shielding me with his body, that the blows that he has taken on my behalf, that I can be very thankful for that. Because what I deserved, I didn't get. What I really want, I don't get sometimes because it's not good. And God says that, uh, Jesus said, I will withhold no good gift from those. It's not good. It's not, if you didn't get it, it's not good is what I'm saying. If you haven't gotten it yet, it's Jesus saying it isn't good for you either ever or at least right now. And our faith can say, okay, but I know that that's true. Because he took the blows for me. He shielded me from what I deserved. He took the pain, the death, the wages of sin is death. He cashed the check so that I don't have to. And I would like us to journey today to, the, to Calvary. And what I would like us to do, there are going to be, there's four stations around here that have the elements of communion available to us today and as our musicians are coming back here's what I'm going to ask of us be thinking this year how has God shielded me from myself how is he and you may not know yet how has he shielded you from the enemy you may or may not know but I pray that your, as Ephesians 1.18 says, that the eyes of your understanding are enlightened today, that the Spirit would speak to you and say, oh yeah, I shielded you here. This job you didn't get, that's okay, because here's what was going to happen. This relationship that isn't working out, this is awful and it's terrible, but it, what I'm protecting you from, you have no idea what could have happened, that he is your shield and your Reward, And if you can't get there and can't think of those things, think of the fact that I'm pretty much a jerk. And so are you. And that what Jesus did was to say that God's, God's wrath must be satisfied and I'll take the blows. So that God no longer looks on you and sees the jerk. He looks on you and sees Jesus. He sees you righteous, you clothed in his, not a bulletproof vest, but a sin-proof one, robed head to toe in his righteousness because he took the blows for you. And as we partake of these elements of communion this morning, my question to you and to me is where has God shielded you this year? I want to be your shield and your reward. These other things are ancillary. It's gravy. And you know what? Gravy is great. Happy Thanksgiving. But if you just sat down to a big bowl of gravy, well, some of you would be thrilled, but the, the job, the thing, the career move, the, the house you wanted, the, that's just the gravy. What are the potatoes of this is Jesus. I am your reward. And as you are partaking of 
communion to remember that it was his body that was broken so yours doesn't have to be. It was his blood that was spilled so that yours doesn't have to be. He was the firstborn of resurrection, of resurrected from the dead so that we could as well. He shielded you from that and that is something, if nothing else, that we can be extremely thankful for. If your prayer this week has been, uh, I'm really thankful, you go around the table, I'm thankful, my name is Darren Tyler and I'm thankful for, but you're thinking, but God, what I really want is this. Cut out the butt and just go right to this. I'm so thankful that you've been my shield, that you have been my reward. Father, the gifts that you have bestowed upon us are so much grander or greater than what we deserve or expect. And today, Lord, might we be reminded that you are our shield. Show us where you have protected us this year, have guarded us, and those things that felt like they were not what we should have gotten or didn't we didn't want to get, that you still appeared just like Melchizedek did to Abram, that you appear to us in those situations. Your body was broken, your blood was spilled. And I am so thankful for that. Amen. I want you to feel free to go right now. Where there's, again, there's one here, there's one in the back, one over here. You might feel welcome to just bring it back to your seat with you. Um, get a piece of paper out, your phone, if you want to write during this time. But my encouragement is to go, to partake as soon as you're ready. I'm just going to kind of talk you through it a little bit, but, but as you are... taking these elements, thinking I know you're getting older <laughs> but God brought you this far. He shielded you and protected you and made you to where you are today. Thankful for that. The turmoil that might be going on in your relationships or your families. believe that he is shielding you from what it could be worse, shielding you in those moments with faith of the, what he did at the cross, that he's shielding you, that he is your reward. be thankful that the holy God became man and his flesh was ripped apart, picked apart, birds picking away at him, his blood was flowing, shredded for you, for the sins that you did today, the sins you did yesterday, the sin you will do tomorrow. And I'm so thankful for that, that he shielded me from the wrath of God, using his own 
self. There are those that might be having a hard time right now thinking, well, how can I be? <coughs> Maybe for you, it's your health. I get to stand up and I can walk and I can, you know, the Fadleys just came home from a, a place where there's a lot of kids that didn't have that benefit from what they couldn't walk, they couldn't think, they couldn't. But you have that, you can be thankful for that, that God has shielded you from that in your life. I know that there are things that the Lord can show to you today that you can walk out of here doing what Paul commanded the church to be thankful in everything. Paul wrote that from prison. He was in a prison in Rome when he wrote the words, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And the ones that you don't understand for the fleas, so to speak, in your life that you don't, there's no possible way I can't think about how I could be thankful for that. And you may not get to know this side of heaven, but that's where faith comes in. It is your shield to shield you against the doubt, to protect you, to know that someday, whether this side of heaven or the other, I will know fully why and being thankful. And in the meantime, the act of faith is that, to be thankful. God, thank you for being our shield and our great reward. We love gravy, <laughs> but the heart, the meat of it is you and you and your shield. I wanted these things, but what I needed was a shield and you've given it to me. I wanted things and you gave me you. And that relationship, everything else is ancillary. Lord, might be, we be reminded of that today, that your body was broken, your blood was spilled, that we can be thankful in all things. It's in your name that we pray. It's in the nature of who you are. Amen.